You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into episode 12 of From the Braves Booth, alongside Joe Simpson and our producer-engineer Jonathan Chadwick. Ben Ingram here with you. Episode 12, we're we're packing these things in, man. I mean to tell you, we are on a roll. and piling them up. Yep. Good stuff. Yeah, it's been fun. It really has been, and... As always, great to hear from so many of you each passing week as we bring you this podcast. Of course, for for a lot of you out there, you hear us just about every single night during the game, but giving you an opportunity to hang out with us once a week on this podcast has been a lot of fun for us, and we thank you for being out there. As we do the show right now, we're coming to you from Coors Field in Denver, and first time we've been here in a couple of years, obviously, and one of those places that we had looked forward to coming to, and a nice little stop along the way, isn't it? It always is. You know, as long as it's not in April, uh, the first week of April, when there's going to be, you know, six to 10 inches of snow on the field, and you got to figure out a way to still get the games in. So it's uh, very pleasant here in September, and uh, the weather's great good breeze going we're in good shape yeah i'm all for september trips to denver this is yeah. a lot better than years past yeah which i never understood there were so many years where the braves would open the season in denver or play here in the month of april which never made any sense i don't understand why these guys play any games in april at home i know they have to but well think about it. i mean detroit colorado chicago cleveland either of those two teams cleveland and minnesota it's tough to to just tell those teams, okay, you're going to open up on the road for 10 days every year uh, because then they have maybe a decided advantage at the end of the year because the schedule all of a sudden flip-flops where they've right. got a lot of home games perhaps late in the year. So you got to figure out uh, the least damaging way and the least damaging way to do it, in my opinion, is to make sure that those cold-weather teams are playing teams within their division. Right. So that if they lose a game to weather, it's easier to make up when you've got a team coming back to town uh, at least two more times. I know that at the time, I'm, I assume this is still the case, but at the time, the Braves played a game here, and it was the coldest game in Major League history on record. Mm-hmm. I think it was 23 degrees, mm-hmm. and, and I assume Dub- that still stands. Doubleheader. Yeah, that's right. That's when Julio was so Julio. good, right? Yeah. yeah. 23 degrees. Yeah, it was ridiculous. And then you'd think that, oh, my goodness, Julio, no way he'll be able to pitch in cold weather. He threw a gym. Yeah. It was like, uh, okay, we got to figure out a way to make Julio cold. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's funny. It was a gym. And then, uh, get this one. Uh, I was doing a playoff game here for TBS. Uh, the Rockies were playing the Phillies. And it was went that year when they just went, the Rockies went crazy. Won right. 22 out of their last 23 games. And we played a game here, and it was sub-freezing. It was so cold. We had on big parkas and everything. But we were, I'll say, ordered, if not strongly asked, by the commissioner's office, Bud Selig, 
not to mention the temperature. Really? Don't bring it up. Don't say it. Don't show it on the scoreboard. Nothing. Don't tell everybody at home how brutally cold it is. <laughs> Just ignore it, huh? Just ignore it. Yeah, that's it. So we did. We, we were acting like, boy, I am not cold. <laughs> <laughs> I could ignore it till it's under about uh, 50 degrees. Yes. I, I'm from Mississippi. If it gets under 50, yeah. forget it. It's bets, cold. That's her off. Yeah. You, you probably felt like you were covering a Broncos game. But how sad is that that we were instructed to ignore it and not talk about it? It when we're showing the stands and there's people bundled up, bundled up like they're like they're at Soldier Field in Chicago. Uh, all you can see was just a little opening in their parkas where you could see their eyes. That that was it. And it's like, yeah, don't don't mention it. Yeah, it's in the cold weather. I bet there are a lot of people out there who listen to this podcast and are Braves fans all together. That when they think of Coors Field, they think of games one and two in the division series in '95, uh, especially game one. Chipper had two home runs in that game and made a great defensive play at third base. And the Braves won that game. I think they scored twice in the top of the ninth, came back and won. And then the next day, or the next game, um, I think Marquise Grissom went deep twice in a ball game. They were great games. And what was uh, unfortunate in those days is the first year of the wild card. Yeah. Uh, Not wild card. Uh, The um, first year of division play. Is that what I'm... With a wild card team. With a wild card team, yeah. That's right. And... The wild card team got the first two games. I've never understood that. That was horribly, uh, I guess, unfortunate for uh, the team that was a division winner to have to open on the road like that. But in a five-game series, the first two games at Coors Field, oh, mercy. Yeah. So so it was the thought process, okay, you, you let the lesser team host for two, but the other team gets three. three. Maybe. But still, we, I, I'd want to be starting in my place. And then if we go to five, give me five in my place. Yeah. Come back, come back to the home, and it's obviously changed since that happened. But uh, to your point about those games here with the Braves, something happened in that game, and it's often uh, on video. I think when we're in a rain delay in Atlanta, we're talking about Chipper Jones and, and his career. Um, there was a play with Andres Galarraga up, and Jeff Blauser was the shortstop, and it was a key key moment I, I i know there were runners on base and blouser saw the sign that they were going to throw galarraga something off 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 speed might have been a change up and he gave a signal to chipper you know right be heads up and chipper took a step and a half or two steps to his right near the line and then made that diving stop to his right if he doesn't move if blouser doesn't give him that heads up that's a double down the line at least and, yeah. and turns that whole game around man yeah that's some some really good memories can't believe it's been that long ago but i, I think of this ballpark and that's one of the memories that comes to mind is, is watching that game on television and seeing chipper hit those two home runs and then the braves won in four games if i'm not mistaken swept the reds and then won the world series in six yeah they wiped the reds out uh reggie sanders was the guy that always stands out for me on on the reds team in that series because he was in a uh, a strikeout funk and the braves figured out that he had a real hole in his swing and couldn't lay off anything above the strike zone uh-huh. you know not helmet high but just about shoulder high and maybe a little above the letters and he just kept swinging time and time again and struck out i don't know how many times in that series and the braves won all four yeah that's some good memories as far as this team goes we'll see the braves take on the rockies tonight in the second game of this series and by the time you're listening to this maybe game two has already taken place but the braves won game one and it was good to see them come back and win they had an early lead gave up the five runs in the third inning but then came back and adam duvall just about 
cause an avalanche with a home run last night. That's a great what, description. What, 477? Yeah, that's a great description. And, you know, as many games as I've seen in this ballpark, that was about as long as I have seen. I know Javi Lopez hit a ball that landed on the concourse closer to the line, and the the story was it bounced out of the stadium because there's some openings in some of those concession stands out there, and it bounced in between them and disappeared. Uh, but that ball that uh, Adam hit last night was more to straightaway left, almost left center, where he hit his, and just amazing. Just missed the scoreboard. Yeah. Yeah, it hit the the base of the video screen on the hop. Yeah, and uh, so just awesome to watch. Really awesome to watch. And uh, there's some wins where you just say you needed it. And and after being swept in L.A., three grueling games, three tough games, three games that just made your your heart sink in, yeah. in those ball games. So to come back and win that ball game last night, you felt like you got back in gear. And now you think to yourself, well, you got three games left with the Rockies. Then you go home for ten to face three teams that have losing records. And I think you look at the stretch to say you got to do right now what you did in that stretch on the road when you saw Miami, Baltimore, and Washington. Yes. Is it the time to make hay right now? Yeah, because the last 14 games are certainly no walk in the park. You've got a – I don't want to call it a breather, but you've got a place here where you can make up some ground and put some games in the bank for that upcoming schedule that are awfully tough. And uh, hopefully that last night was a a step in the right direction. Uh, With respect to the Rockies, though, this is a good ball club in many respects. They may have a rotten record away from this part, but they're great here, as we talked about last night. And their lineup, when you start with um, uh, Blackman, and really, Rogers Blackman story. Right. You know, there's some thunder in the middle of their lineup that that gives you pause, especially when there's you're playing in a one-run game late in the ball game. It's yeah. scary. Yeah, it really is. And Braves able to get it done last night. Turned a bunch of double plays last night. Turned three double plays. That's great to see. Should have turned one more. That's right. Yeah. Uh, that that throwing error by Tukey, but found a way to get it done. Picked up the win. Two-game lead on the Phillies going into the action tonight on Friday the third. And uh, I, I'm sure the Phillies are doing exactly what we're doing. I, I've got an eye on what the Braves are doing and i got an eye on their schedule. I'm sure they're doing the exact same thing. Phillies are in Miami this weekend. They continue their road trip. They won yesterday against the Nationals. They've got the uh, Mar- the uh, Marlins tonight, Saturday, Sunday. Then they go to Milwaukee. And that won't be easy for them, but those are really the three toughest games they have for the next few weeks. They've got the Rockies at home. They've got the Cubs at home. They do have the Mets in New York. But then they have Baltimore at home for four and Pittsburgh at home for three. Goodness. So, And, and then that takes them into that road trip that starts in Atlanta, and they end the season in Miami. Okay. So it is easily a softer schedule for the Phillies between now and the end of the season as the Braves still have another West Coast trip with the Giants, Padres, and Diamondbacks. Uh, and then, of course, that uh, that six-game homestand to finish the season with Philly and New York. So it's a two-game lead, and I think you go back to what we've been saying for the last few weeks, you feel like you got to win every single night you go out there. Yeah, it's better than a two-game deficit trying to catch them, and you're certainly going to need some help from other ball clubs since you don't play them head-to-head until that last week of the season. Um, it's it, it's going to come down to the last week, yeah. you know? And like I said a second ago, you better put some of these games in the bank because you're going to need them when you go out west and hopefully build up another five- or six-game lead going into that. I'll tell you what, if this thing comes down to one game, 
I don't want to think about the day that Alec Baum was called safe and he didn't touch the plate. Or that Freddie Freeman touched the plate and called yeah, out. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It, it's so crazy because you could play 162 and have this long summer, six months worth of games. But if you finish a game up or minus, you can look at this one little spot here, that one little spot there. If, if This one went our way, so we won it. Or that one went against us and we just missed out by a game or so. It's bizarre how the season can work out that way. It, it makes you sick and can drive you crazy uh, when you get to that point, realizing how many places there were where you should have won a game and didn't. And that's why when we talk about games in April, uh, this, the old saying, you can't win it in April, but you can sure lose it. Well, that's what we're talking about. There could be some games that you're just getting the season started. Oh, it's not that big a deal. We got a lot of baseball left. Well, those games even if it's one or two, they sure do come back to haunt you later on. Yeah, they do. So I, hopefully it doesn't come down to that. And as we discussed on the broadcast last night, how back in June and July, we were just hopeful that those last six games would be meaningful. Now you hope that they're not. Yeah, <laughs> you hope right. that you can put right. these guys away, and it's all done by the time you get to that last home stand of the season. But I'm with you. I think it's going to come down to that last week. I like the club. I like the way they're playing. Uh, they ran into a buzzsaw in L.A. There's no getting around that. They ran into three postseason starters. Right. You know, in whatever order. And if the Dodgers get Clayton Kershaw back, okay, they've got four. But Kershaw couldn't pitch any better than those guys did. Right. You know, Arias, uh, Walker Bueller, and then Scherzer, those guys are going to be in the Dodger rotation in their first series, regardless of who they're playing. And the Braves should have won the last game, okay, right. and come away with one win, and and that would have been nice. Uh, but they, they were all close ball games, and the Braves offensively competed. They were swinging the bats. They were putting it at play. They, they weren't striking out a lot. And I took heart in that, and I like where they are offensively. I like Eddie Rosario in the lineup now. Yeah. And uh, we'll see where it takes them. But, uh, man, it's a deep lineup right now, and I hope everybody stays hot. Yeah, you want to stay healthy, stay hot. Speaking of health, we'll see Ozzy back in the lineup tonight. Yeah, That's it's really great. good news. You bet. And, and need him in there. Going back to your thought on the Dodgers, it, it was really bizarre because they start a series with the Giants tonight. Those two teams are tied for first in the West. Uh, two days ago, the Dodgers jumped into first place all by themselves for the first time since April. That being said... As impressive as the Brewers have been, as impressive as the Giants have been, as hot as the the Reds have been in stretches of the season, I think everybody in the league still feels like you got to beat L.A. in order to, to get to the World Series. Yeah, and here's something, too. You, you, I was just talking about those three studs the Dodgers pitched against Atlanta. Uh, Urias will probably be ready to pitch again Saturday right? and Bueller on Sunday. So the Dodgers are going to have to run somebody else out there tonight, and uh, that'll work to the Giants' advantage. I'm not sure who that would be, uh, but they won't have the Giants won't have to face those three guys Atlanta just had to deal with. Yeah, that's a good point, and that's definitely their top three. They are sending out David Price tonight. Yeah, I, I, and he hasn't been. Giants are going to, over there licking their chops. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. So. Um, you know, as it stands, you, you hope that you can find a way to win this division. And if not, hopefully the wild card is, is in play for this ball club. Just find a way to get in. Get in. Get in the tournament um, and, and go from there. The Braves have some starting pitching that they can run out at somebody if, if it is the wild card. Right. I mean, worst case scenario. Um, uh, worst case scenario would be not to make it. But uh, next to worst would be have to play a wild card game. And if you do, you got – 
you got some starting pitching that you can run out there for that one game to advance type situation and mm-hmm. feel comfortable about it. Yeah, I think so too. So that's how it's looking here on the uh, what is this? The third of September is uh, we're we're a month. Final game of the season's a month from today, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that is so hard to believe. Right. Third. Um, yeah, October 3rd. So one month from today. And the Braves have this series with the Rockies. Still three games here in Denver. Home for the Nats, Marlins, and Rockies again. On the road, San Francisco, Arizona, San Diego. And remember, one of those games in San Diego, you're trailing by a run with two innings left. Right. I believe it is. And then home for the, the, for the Phillies and the Giants, or Phillies and the uh, Mets. So exciting stuff. But it, it, it's a lot better to be in it than out of it, even though it makes you nervous. It's good to be in this position. Well, when you're doing a podcast, you like having this kind of stuff to talk about yeah. and, and not the other. <laughs> right. If you're out of it, what are we doing? You're, yes. Uh, who's the Mount Rushmore of Atlanta yeah. Braves baseball? Yeah, it wouldn't be a podcast. It'd be a poop <laughs> cast. Poop cast. Yeah. Like, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Yeah, for the teams in contention, you got a podcast. For the yeah. other teams, it's a poop cast. That's great. Oh man, can we get that on a T-shirt? Yeah, that'd be great. Um, all right. Well, I think it's time to get into some questions, which good. means JC is going to be joining us, and we've got some good ones. Obviously, thank you as always for the questions. You can email us Braves Booth at gmail.com bravesbooth at gmail.com and we'll be doing this till season ends and bringing you a weekly podcast we we normally bring you our podcast on tuesday wednesday somewhere in there had to push it back a little bit this week given the travel and, and everything going to la and now in colorado so glad we're able to finally get it together and and give you guys the weekly podcast and um we can fire away with some of these questions we got some great ones I, here's my favorite one that i saw um, this was from Bud, and Bud says, "Who's the funniest member of the booth? Also, who's the funniest looking?" And I thought to myself, "That might be that might be the only question we need to fill the rest of the show." Really, we could debate this for for a long time. Yeah, yeah, because I could dog the heck out of both <laughs> you guys. <laughs> Yeah, you could do at least a half an hour doing that. I I, I thought to myself on this one, I I think the I think you're the funniest, Joe. I really do, and and I think your brand of humor just is spot on. I I love the dry brand of humor sometimes, and uh, to me, you you have a level of that that is uncommon in most people. Well, thanks. I'll I'll take that as a real good compliment. I would agree and say, Joe, I think sometimes Joe is so funny, he challenges me to try to be funny. (laughs) (laughs) I think you are funny, J. Chad. Sometimes I am. Sometimes I'm not. But funny looking, which is the second part of Bud's question. Oh, (laughs) I'm not going to. I'll volunteer to accept the funny looking. I'll take that uh, as an old guy. Um, No, I think Ben's funny, too. I think Ben comes up with these great things off the uh, Internet and the um, tweets and what have you, and then kind of manufactures them into something that's even funnier than they were originally posted to be. And I love that. It's got to harmonize together. I think that's why we have a lot of fun doing this. So it's a good dynamic. As far as the funniest looking goes, uh, the last day in Los Angeles, that award would go to me. Yeah, that was that was our (laughs) fault, though. We we bagged you on that one. You got to tell the story. Okay, so on travel days, the team wears matching sweatsuits on the plane. It's just a more comfortable way to travel. 
And so we had talked about the last day in Los Angeles, which was Wednesday. Right. We were all going to ride the 320 bus to the ballpark, and we texted which matching sweatsuits that the three of us would wear. Because we have two choices. Right. And so we agreed on a 320 bus in gray sweatsuits. Well... I come down for the 320 bus. I'm the only person wearing a gray sweatsuit. Everybody's looking at me like I have four heads and I have no idea why. And I get on the bus and there's no Ben and there's no Joe. Well, eventually Ben texts me and let me know that they decided to take the three o'clock bus. So I'm riding the bus by myself and I show up to Dodger Stadium and I'm the only one in a sweatsuit. (laughs) You sure were cute though. Yeah, you did look good. Yeah. Hey, I'll tell you this. I was comfortable for nine innings. Yeah, you I know were. you were. Definitely were. I mean, you, you look like uh, something out of the first Rocky movie when he was training yeah. and he's, uh-huh. he's got that sweatsuit on. Right. Yeah, JC was I, definitely I was, comfortable. I was afraid we were both going to get left hooks, too, <laughs> yeah. then when, when he got there. <laughs> I did, too. Yeah, I got a text. We were probably three or four minutes away from Dodger Stadium, and I got a text on the bus. Joe sent me a text just said, we're here. <laughs> I'm like, where are you? <laughs> yeah, our bad. <laughs> All right, this is uh, from Mark. What kind of snacks do you eat during the game? Ben's the voracious eater and yeah. will eat anything in sight. But his his snacks are a lot healthier than mine. I know that. <laughs> I don't know. You, you get the cookies out, and I can't help yeah, myself. Yeah, I'm the cookie monster over here that keep me going. I don't know. I, I try not to eat too much during the game, but if I do, honestly, whatever we have laying around in the booth. Yeah. I try to load up before the game so I don't have to eat yeah. during the game. I hate eating during the game, and I hate being hungry during the game. But if I have to, then usually whatever we had for dinner that night, there's still some left in the back, and maybe I'll grab you know, part of a burger or something like that. And not to mention double stuff Oreos that are always uh, at our disposal for rallies. Yeah. <laughs> Here's one from Bert, and I think Joe could probably answer this better than Ben and me. Some of the Braves coaches have some rocky ties. Do you think Walt Weiss and Eric Young Jr. like coming back to Colorado? Yes. Uh, I'm going to answer for them, put words in their mouth and all that, because they were so popular here. Fans love those guys. Uh, They see Walt Weiss walk out to take the lineup card. They cheer for him. They see EY run down the line to coach first base, and people are yelling to him from the crowd, and that, that makes them feel good about what they did here because they were good players and of course Walt managed here too uh, but I don't think that took any luster off of the um, uh, affection these fans have for those two players or for Walt in particular as the manager now does he like coming back and visiting with the GM who fired him probably not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think but I think he's gone anyway yeah so uh, yeah I think it's a great experience and to my knowledge, I think Walt still makes this his home. He does. I know he still lives here in the offseason. His main residence is here. But one thing I've noticed, every single time I've come and worked at this ballpark while Walt Weiss has been a member of the Braves coaching staff, at least one, usually multiple times throughout the course of the series, Walt is down there holding court in front of the Braves dugout with members of the opposing team press corps. Yep. They all love the guy. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. They did love him, and, and who, why not? Mm-hmm. Easy to get along with. Another one, uh, as far as EY goes, yesterday I decided to walk to the ballpark, and so instead of coming in the normal the normal entrance that we would with the team, I came in through the front office. And so I had to show the lady my badge, tell her who, who I was with, what I did, and I talked to her for a handful of minutes, and there were three or four women in the front office at the reception area, and every single one of them wanted to know about EY. Yeah, that's, that's cool. great. That is really cool. This question is from Max. And this is, and I, I love what I get to do. I love baseball. My second favorite thing, I love music. And I love all, lots of different genres of music. And Max says, who has the best walk-up song in the league? And what would your walk-up song be? And I think that's a great question because it gets on my nerves so many times here. So much, so many bad Oh, song choices. Horrible. Horrible. What were they thinking? These guys are so talented at what they do, but there aren't a lot of guys who know good music. And, and that, that might be a bold statement, but I'm, I'm saying it. And I hear it every single night, and I think to myself, this, this music choice is horrible. But if you guys do stand out, and when you do run across guys with good music taste, it jumps out to me. A couple of guys on our team that I really like, two pitchers. I love when Will Smith comes out to Stranglehold, Ted Nugent. Great opening riff. Love that song. Um, Chris Martin comes out to Cody Jinks. And for some of you who listen to some some country music, he's a really good uh, artist that I enjoy. But a guy that I really liked the other – this happened the other night, and I mentioned it on the air. A.J. Pollock came out to Hey, Hey, What Can I Do from Led Zeppelin. And I was like, just keep that rolling. Keep it – because their sound system's so good. And it was a, a lineup that didn't have too many songs that I actually enjoyed. But when they started playing Led Zeppelin, I was like, you can just play that during the, the whole A.B. For all I'm, for all I care. Yeah, yeah. There, there are some good ones, uh, and there are some rotten ones. I, I gotta say that, um, you know, Jock Peterson is really laid back, and he's been a good addition to the ball club. But boy, oh boy, that walk up song. I mean, we could hit, we could hit back to back to back to back home runs, <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's gonna have a good. Oh, it's time. terrible. It's horrible. <laughs> I mean, I just want to lay down and take a nap. Yeah. Um, I would never know that, though, because I sit behind you guys, and every time Jock comes to the plate at Truist Park and his walk-up song comes out, I immediately look in your direction, and you're swaying back and forth. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be like that, that one guy in the crowd who's, like, so into it, and his head just goes from left to right and right to left, and really into it in a groove yeah it's just that you know it's that at that point i want to hear something you know led zeppelin or zz yeah. top or something like that that's going to keep this thing rock rocking right and it kind of slows everything down we're going to slow it down now we're going to have a little a little trash joe yeah we're going to have some uh, trash soft songs now <laughs> yeah. want, to, want to grab your partner and have a close-up dance we're right. going to have that right now yeah man we <laughs> welcome to uh 101 the river yes <laughs> uh so that's a great question. Uh, what would your walk-up song be? Ben? Uh, what would it be? That's a mm-hmm. good uh, man. Uh, I'd have, I'd spend hours going back and forth, and I'd have a hard time coming up with one thing. My, I think my favorite all-time song. Speaking of Zeppelin, I love uh, "When the Levee Breaks" by Led Zeppelin. I think it might be my favorite song of all time. So maybe I'd go with that. When I was in college for all four years, when I came to bat, it was uh, "Big Bad John" by Jimmy Dean. Jimmy Dean. Oh yeah. my. Everyone got a kick out of that. Yeah. See, that, that would have to be yours. That's yes. perfect. That is awesome. We had a few umpires that every time I'd come to bat, they'd just start laughing when <laughs> you know they get to the part where he talked about standing six foot six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. That's great. How about Jimmy Dean was a musician and a, made the sausage? Yeah. 
And that's the same guy. Yeah, same guy. Yeah, it's pretty talented. Still good sausage too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I um, I would be torn probably between uh, the stage song Oklahoma, right. know, where the wind comes whistling down the plane. Yeah, or um, uh, led uh, ZZ Top, my favorite band, probably a Sharp Dress Man. That's my dad's favorite rock it, song. Yeah. Anytime I hear it, I think of dad. Yeah, that would that would be such it a good song. His fans would get into that. Yeah, they would. That you know what? Here, here's what it is. That's timeless music. Mm-hmm. So much of what we hear tonight, you won't be listening to in a year from now or three years from now. This is timeless stuff. Yeah, and and I'm not. I can't be critical. I mean, I just was of jocks because I know the words to that song and the, and I I feel the music painfully, <laughs> uh, but. There are so many songs being played now. I don't know. It's noise. I don't, I don't know them. Yeah. You know, it's contemporary. It's younger. It's out of my genre. And so I just go with it and assume, oh, I bet that's a real popular song. <laughs> right. Or he wouldn't have picked it. <laughs> yeah. All right. We've talked about Jock. This question comes from Carla. She says, of the three of you, who would be the most likely to go to a hair salon with Jock Peterson? Oh, we got to get the, the dye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe JC. J. Chad. J. Chad's got the do for it because he could just dip his head in the bowl and come out blonde. Yeah. And I don't have enough hair to worry about it. Did you ever do that? There, there was a, there was a phase back in the early. 2000. Probably seventh or eighth grade, uh, going to the beach in the summer. And I think my twin brother and I did the bleach blonde thing. Did you use sun in? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I can't believe that my parents would allow that uh, because it looked horrible. Yeah. I did it one time. Uh, I think I was 20 and I was in college and I was calling the games for Mississippi College and the whole team went and did it right oh. before the playoffs started. Okay. So, of course, I went and just I looked like a, a Q-tip. It was terrible. Um, but we had the whole bleach blonde thing and yeah, it was G- bad. Gabe had that too. Uh, not too long after you, Jonathan, um, or maybe about the same time, he and his teammates kind of went sun in, and they were all singing and dancing to uh, Britney Spears and had it really working. Well, maybe, just maybe, let's say if the Braves make it back to the NLCS, I'll see if I can't make a salon appointment with Jock. Now, that'd be something. That would be fun. Now, yeah. he, he waited till he went to California before he did his, so I don't well, know if maybe, he goes to someone in Atlanta. Maybe we'll be in L.A. for the NLCS. See, now that'll be a podcast story right there. That's a, that's a full episode. Yes, it JC is. JC and be. Jock at the now, salon. Now, I, I, I may have to tag out a loan to go to Jock's salon, <laughs> but we'll figure it out. Yeah. All right, this is uh, from Tracy. She says, uh, or he, uh, says, outside of baseball, is there a sporting event you wish you had the opportunity to call a specific Super Bowl or NBA Finals college football championship? And uh, at the last several years, I've gotten to call the Peach Bowl uh, in Atlanta, I don't know, the last five or six of those, and those have been a lot of fun. I think if there's anything that I enjoy calling outside of baseball, it's football. And um, it's been a long time since I've done hoops, and that's all I've done sports-wise, I've never done anything other than football, baseball, or basketball. Of course, in the Southeast, uh, it's not like we have hockey or anything like that. But love some college football, and that's, it, it's fun to get to this time of the year where you've got football and baseball both overlapping. No, it's great. It is a good time of year for that. Uh, I haven't. I mean, I, I did some uh, junior amateur hockey once. That was pretty funny. But um, other than that, most it's just baseball. I've got one here from... Um, See where to go. Oh, it's talking about the replay system, and 
it, it, how how it could be improved. Let me see if I can find it again. Um, it's from Allie. Love the podcast. Quick question for y'all. After having to call games for two seasons from a monitor, do you think it's the most accurate way for replay to do its job? What improvements can be made because it's clearly not working now? Thanks. Charlie Morton was asked a similar question to this the other night on the post game, and I think he absolutely nailed it. And I'm, I like having replay. I li- and I guess let me take that back. I like the idea of having a replay system where we 100% get the answer, where we 100% get the call right. That's what I hope. I, I do believe that even with a perfect system, there might be a play here and there that you might not get right every single time. However, I think we can make vast improvements. And Charlie said after the game the other night, he said, I don't know why the call on the field is as important as it is. If we're replaying the call to see what happened, then why does it matter what the original call was? We're obviously looking at this to see 100% with clarity exactly what happened on the call. So therefore, the previous call of outer safe, in my opinion, and, and his, as he said, um, should be negated. That being said, come up with a replay system where the guys in New York or wherever you have these guys stationed do not know the original call on the field. Right. That way they can watch it five, six, seven times from different angles, and they can determine exactly what happened without the original call swaying them one way or the other. I think if you had three or four guys, a committee or whatever it may be in New York, who could watch the play that was in question without knowing the original outcome, then we would have a lot more accuracy with our replay system. There's another way um, uh, that might help. I really endorse that method you just described, and that is not allowing the guys in New York to know what the original call was. The second thing is, if you're watching a an NFL game these days, there are times they, they have some magical camera operation that gives you a 360 look at the play that just occurred. Right. Now, how they do that, I have no idea. Maybe that camera thing that's suspended across the field is helping with that i don't know but there's got to be a way they could do that same have that same technology for baseball where instead of saying well the replay angles available to us did not indicate any change in the call well why aren't there more why aren't why isn't there a 360 degree look i'm told uh, Chip has referred to this several times, uh, either in Japan or Korea in their professional league. They do have that system. Right. They can see it from absolutely every angle before they make a decision on replay. So that would be a second thing uh, on top of what you just suggested. Put all that together, and I think you've got yourself a yeah. system that would work significantly more efficiently. Good question, Allie. I would just... To add on to that, something has to be done to address it. Right. I agree. Because with the modern technology that we have, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is getting the call right. And too many times we're still seeing the wrong call being made. Yeah. Good point. What you got, JC? This uh, question is mainly for Joe. It comes from Austin Roberts. He says, how do players feel about the teams they played for after they retire? Do they typically cheer for the team they were with the longest? I ask because it must have been weird at first for Jeff Francoeur to openly cheer for the Braves on TV against some of his former teammates in Philadelphia and Miami after he retired. Well, I can't speak for Jeff, but I will say that um, you certainly openly root for the team you're working for and follow the most because you get to know these guys and you know who they are and you know how much 
uh, it means to them to win, so you want them to win. Uh, do I follow the Mariners and the Royals and root for them and hope that they do well? Yes, I do. Right. We don't play them that often. You know, uh, I broke in with the Dodgers. And like I said, I openly root for the Royals and the Mariners. <laughs> and uh, it's only because I, I say that and sound ugly saying it, but uh, there's not too many people in L.A. that that are still there that were there when I was there. Right. Uh, in fact, probably zero. Uh, I, I miss those people and I miss the way. Uh, I learned to play and how that all goes about, but that's that's modern baseball, and that's it's almost like a completely different organization than the one I played for. Right, that makes sense. Okay, yeah, that's a good that's a good answer. This is a question that we've asked each other before. This is from Misty, and the question is: When the pitching coach goes to the mound to talk to the pitcher, why is just Dansby Swanson called to the mound and no other infield players? I don't think that Dansby is called to the mound. I think that's more of a shortstop position thing where he views himself as the captain of the infield, so he's going to be a part of that. And if you guys disagree with me, fire away. But that. That, to me, seems like why he is there. I don't think that he has to be there, and I don't think that when Rick goes out there that he thinks, well, we need Dansby over here before we start the meeting because what he's doing is just talking to the pitcher. But I think as a quote-unquote captain of the infield – which is usually what uh, that that position is labeled, that he he feels the need as a team guy to be there. Well, he's got signals to convey. You know, he needs to know what the signs are going to be for this particular pitcher. If they're going to change the signs, he needs to know what they are. What are you guys changing to? Right. Uh, Because then if there's ever a runner at first base, who's covering second on a steal? Who's covering or who's covering second, excuse me, who's covering second on a comebacker to the mound. They usually work that out, uh, the pitcher does, with one of the infielders before a ball is even hit. But he needs to know so that he can signal to Ozzy, you're covering or I'm covering. And and they do that with a, a mouth signal, typically. Right. So in order to have that all straight, he needs to know what the pitch is going to be in case uh, they, they need to cover. And the only thing I would add to that, too, he may want to hear how they're going to attack a certain hitter. Uh, they shift a lot, but depending on how they're going to pitch a particular hitter uh, may uh, wind up determining where Dansby is going to position himself. Yeah, true. Good point. True. Jonathan? Uh, this question comes from Harry. He says... This trip is taking you guys to Dodger Stadium and Coors Field. What do you like about those parks for those of us who have never been? Uh, I'll start. <clears throat> Dodger Stadium is, um, and, and I'll say this about both of these ballparks, they are spotless. Mm-hmm. They are so clean, and they power wash and clean these places out before every game. And both Dodger Stadium and Coors Field uh, come highly recommended, I, I think, from all of us in terms of a place to go watch a ball game and enjoy what you see and the surroundings and the all the visual parts of it. So for that part, the part that you can't enjoy, I guess, by not being there, it is the 180-degree um, view that we have of those two ballparks. Right. And we can take it all in. I would say, uh, Coors Field, I made this comment to you guys yesterday. Every single time that I've ever come here, I've commented every time on how clean this place is, kind of to touch on what Joe said. As far as Dodger Stadium goes, 
going to a game at Dodger Stadium is an event. It is awesome. From our vantage point where we work, when you see the sunset on the San Gabriel Mountains at night, it is about as picturesque as it gets. The fans are into the games. It is an awesome fan base. And like I said, everything from their game entertainment to what takes place, it is top-notch and it is an event and it's something that's kind of fun to be a part of. Yeah, I think so too. I think when it comes to this ballpark in Denver, and I love the ballpark itself, it's very beautiful. I I love the backdrop here and and I think they've done a nice job with the stadium. But my favorite thing is the city itself. I love being able to walk from the hotel to the ballpark. It's just a few blocks away and it's a really pretty downtown area. So I enjoy that that aspect of it. Dodger Stadium, and, and in this, I don't think too many people say this for what we do because it can be a very tough place to work just because of the noise and, and how loud it can be. I embrace that. It might be it's probably in my top three favorite stadiums to work in. I really love it there. And a big reason that is what Jay Chad mentioned. It is such a production. It is such an event and a scene. And everything they do from their video boards to their pregame entertainment to their music, they have a DJ there that plays during BP. Everything is new. It's not the exact same thing every single day. You're not showing up and hearing the same songs and the same games and the same videos every single day. They switch it up a lot. And every time I call a game there first off I feel like I'm in a time machine because that that takes me to an era of baseball in the 60s and the 70s and I always thought if I could do what I'm doing now in a different era it probably would have been in the 50s and the 60s uh, just for, for what radio was at the time and, and some of the players that were in the game at the time uh, so that stadium is from that era and I love that aspect of it but also I, I feel like when you're calling a game there, I don't know if it's the noise. I don't know if it's the fact that you're always taking on a really good team or whatever it may be. And 50,000 people. 50,000 people. I feel like you're calling the biggest game in the universe every single night and that everybody on the planet is watching. It just seems like such a humongous event. And, and I don't say that to uh, to dog any other stadium or any other any other team, but just it's just when you're there, the energy is so high all the time. And to me, I, I enjoy enjoy working in that environment just because I feel like it drives me to be uh, attempt to be the best I've ever been in what we do and try to be perfect every single night and, and I, I like that atmosphere that that stadium brings I just wish we'd win a little bit more there when we go no kidding I think that's just the last thing on that. I think they've also done a phenomenal job modernizing that ballpark while also keeping the charm of, you know, the old school Dodger Stadium. Right. Uh, it's it's just a spectacular place to go. And if you're a fan of any team, when your team plays there, you should make plans to go. I've got one that I get asked a lot, and I'm going to pick it because uh, maybe uh, it'll help fill in some spots for you people and it's from will uh good morning from clinton north carolina he says uh and it 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 says for me during the braves run on tbs the the announcing team would switch between tv and radio in the middle of the game i always enjoyed the change up my question is whose idea was that and why and was that a turner sports thing or a braves thing why did it end, and do you think it would be a good idea worth returning to? Love the broadcast and podcast. And it's it's a real worthy question, Will, because I get it all the time. Um, I don't know whose idea it was. When I came along in 92, it certainly was already in place. But here's the, here's the rub on this. It, one entity, Ted Turner, 
owned the team and he owned this TV station. We had a contract with a radio station, but the team supplied the broadcasters to that radio station for that contract. So everybody was being paid out of the same pocket and we could ship back and forth between radio and TV and there wasn't a need to be concerned about where you were working. If you're an announcer, you're getting paid uh, X amount of dollars for uh, either your salary or per game basis. So when that changed, when all of a sudden TBS got out of the baseball business, uh, at least on a superstation everyday mode, um, all of a sudden the broadcasters became uh, employees of other entities. Uh, Fox Sports, for example, and now called Bally. So the radio broadcasters are employed by the Atlanta Braves. TV broadcasters are employed by the TV entity. And you would really have to figure out, sit down, those two bosses from those two sides would have to sit down and see how, if they wanted to go back to switching. And there are a lot of people that love to do it, uh, that would really like to see that happen. Uh It's just you got to figure out how, okay, how are we going to, who's going to pay who? Are you going to pay them when they're on TV? Or are the Braves going to pay the guys on radio? Or is Fox going to pay them when they're on radio? It, it's, it would be tough to figure out. Yeah. And who's going to answer to who? Yeah, yeah, right. Who's the boss? Yeah, so it was very easy back in the Superstation days. We loved it as broadcasters because it did keep us fresh, too. And uh, heard many times just what you said, that uh, everybody enjoyed the change-up, listening to different guys midway through the game. And it's that same reason that is the answer to the question that we've gotten so many times this year. How come you guys are getting to travel with radio and why is TV not? Well, we have different bosses from them. And, and our bosses, the team, has deemed it uh, appropriate that we travel and we be here for the games. And the, the TV has had a different theory on that. And and the TV people, uh, the bosses, while there are bosses in Atlanta, their bosses are somewhere else. Right. You know, it's a corporation. It goes up the ladder. It's not even a an Atlanta decision. It's a corporate decision that uh, is handed down to all of the regional TV outlets. Yeah, so that's that's the answer to that. I think I've been asked that question more times than any other question all year. It was great, and we loved it. It just would be very difficult to go back to. Yeah, it would. Uh, This question is from – where did I see this? This is from Parker. Uh, what's been the best part about traveling to some of these road stadiums again? And and for me, Parker, it's uh, I think one of the biggest reasons that we do this. I mean, number one, we love the game. But number two, just being at the ballpark, the crowds, uh, calling a game that you're actually at. I, I don't know about you guys. I feel like you will agree with this. But when we were calling the games off the monitors – I, I did it because that's my job, and I would never think of not doing that, but I didn't like it at all. I mean, the, one of the biggest reasons that I went into this is so I could be at the game, so I could hear the crowd, so I could be part of what is happening in the game, and you can't appropriately do that when you're watching a game off a monitor. I think broadcasters, TV, radio, wherever, need to be at the game, and then so long as a means can be provided that they can be, then they should be there because that's such a big part uh, of what we do and us succeeding at what we do. So I, I absolutely hated that. Um, being at an empty ballpark, a, a dark ballpark where you're watching a game off a small monitor, you just felt like you're, uh, I don't know, I, I felt so robotic in, in doing it and not able to be part of what was actually happening at the stadium. So seeing everybody again in the press boxes and in the service levels and people at work at different stadiums that you're used to seeing, that's a part of it too. But I think for me, just being there at the game, in the spirit of the game, and they're able to feel exactly what 
what is happening on the on the field affect the people who are in the stands i think that's all part of what we do and i don't think you can do that at all unless you're actually at the stadium I agree, and I think that was part of what was so hard for us in the postseason last year with the Braves advancing to Game 7 of the NLCS not being there. Yeah. I mean, we, we couldn't see, number one, uh, half of what was going on in the corners. We, we we did the best we could with what we could see, and they did have a few fans in the stands there uh, at that time, but uh, not being there, missing out on the enthusiasm and the uh, the feel, the vibe in the ballpark was really hard. All that stuff uh, is is obvious, but I've also enjoyed, you know, when we were at Dodger Stadium seeing Maria, who's a press box attendant there, right? And uh, Maryland here in Colorado, and all the people that we went two years without seeing that we're used to seeing at least once a season. It's been great to connect with those people again. Yeah, it sure has. And, and we'll, let's go back real quick. I'm glad you mentioned those two people, Jonathan, because back to that question about uh, what a fan doesn't see at Dodger Stadium or Coors Field. Well, uh, great people, you know, mm-hmm. really friendly people, uh, always trying to go out of their way to help you if you needed anything for, for our standpoint. I, I think they're very friendly. Coors Field has always been top-notch in that category. Yeah, it has. I mean, when we do this every single day for six months, the people that we see, we see them more than we see our family and friends. So they become that for yeah, us. Right. And that's a, that's a big thing to miss when you don't get to see those people that you're used to seeing night in and night out. Uh, we got time for, for a question more, too. Are we about towards the end? I think we're about out of time. No, we got, you got Snit coming up here in a little while, don't yes, you? Yes, I do. All right, we'll go ahead and wrap up. So any questions that we didn't get to, maybe we can get to them next time. We appreciate everybody being out there. Feel free to email us bravesbooth at gmail.com we'll try to get to all your questions and we thank you so much for all the questions that you send us weekly we, we got so many great ones and wish we could get to every single one of them um, but we appreciate it and maybe we'll get to yours next week till then for joe for jay chad i'm ben you've been inside the braves booth